Hi, dreamers. Thank you for coming back for the conclusion of this week's episode. I know it was kind of long to listen to, and there was so much to tell. And I didn't want to leave anything out. So if you're listening to this now and you haven't listened to episode 37, I would recommend you wait to listen to this after you've had a chance to finish that one first. And as with the last episode, I must provide you with a warning that this contains graphic details of violence against a young child, including sexual assault. Some of the language is graphic and may not be suitable for all audiences. If there are young children around, I would recommend you save this for a later time. Listener discretion is advised. The last time we talked, we discussed the abduction, sexual assault, and murder of eight-year-old Sandra Cantu. Sandra's friend's mother, a neighbor of hers named Melissa Huckabee, became a person of interest early on, as she seemed to be purposely injecting herself into the investigation of Sandra's disappearance. After Sandra's body was found stuffed into a suitcase floating in a drainage pond and following a two-week investigation, Huckabee was brought in for an interrogation under the guise that she would be giving a formal statement as to her knowledge of Sandra's disappearance. And then, after five hours of questioning, Huckabee confessed. It wasn't a completely truthful or comprehensive confession, but it was enough of an admission to place her under arrest on charges in connection with Sandra's death. Today, I'm going to give you the wind-up of the case against Huckabee. We'll go over some of the court proceedings, the plea agreement, her apology to Sandra's family, and her sentence. I'm going to go over a couple of details about the crimes committed against Sandra that I sort of glossed over in the main episode, and clarify a couple of things that some listeners pointed out to me in regards to the types of drugs Huckabee used to sedate Sandra as well as the way I word certain aspects of the stories that I tell. And of all the confounding things there are about this story, I want to delve into the one thing we didn't go over in episode 37. It's the one thing that Melissa Huckabee would never explain to anyone, even to this day. She has remained silent about it. And it's something I'm hoping to try and theorize on with you today. And that's why... Why did Melissa Huckabee murder an innocent eight-year-old child, a close playmate, best friend even, of her daughter's? That remains one of the most mysterious aspects of all of this, and I want to try and figure it out with you. In today's addendum to episode 37, the conclusion to the tale of Sandra Cantu. On May 10th, 2010, more than a year after she callously took Sandra's life, robbing her family and loved ones of her presence forever, Huckabee pleaded guilty. She had actually entered a plea nearly a year earlier, but the details of her plea needed to be ironed out. In the end, she pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and kidnapping, with enhancements, whatever that means, in exchange for a sentence of 25 years to life without the possibility of parole. I was a bit confused about this sentence, actually, and I wanted to mention that to you guys before we moved on. I didn't notice it at first, this 25 years to life without the possibility of parole. It was sort of a contradiction. I've heard of life without parole, 
And I've heard of 25 to life with the possibility of parole. But I didn't quite understand what it really meant to be sentenced to 25 to life without parole. So I had to ask around. And I went straight to my friend Lisa, host of an Eye for an Eye podcast. As you can see by the title of her show, which she co-hosts with Matt, Eye for an Eye examines the scales of justice, whether the punishment fits the crime. So I figured she might know, and she was able to clear up the confusion. And you are going to have to listen carefully because I am not going to repeat myself. Unless you rewind the podcast, then I guess I will be repeating myself. So, if a defendant is sentenced to 25 to life with the possibility of parole, there is a chance for that person to begin to be eligible for parole 10 to 15 years into their sentence. And they can basically be denied parole for the remainder of their natural life. But, if a defendant is sentenced to 25 years to life without the possibility of parole, that means the 25 years is mandatory. There is no possibility of being eligible for parole any earlier than that. And then, after 25 years, the defendant might have a chance at parole if a judge wants to review their case. But there's no guarantee. So, it's basically a life sentence with the potential for a review for parole, not actual parole itself. I hope that makes sense. And if it's still confusing, I might just have to send you over to an eye for an eye so you can get your own personal lesson on this. Otherwise, if anyone listening has a way of making this make more sense to everyone, feel free to enlighten us on social media. I've gotten it, but I had to be explained it about three times. Back to Huckabee sentencing. The other charges that she was facing, the sexual assault most glaringly, were dropped. She would have been facing the possibility of the death penalty if she had decided to take her case to trial, as the murder charge would have attached to it a couple of special circumstances, including kidnapping, lewd and lascivious acts with a child, and rape with a foreign object. It was really a no-way-out situation for Huckabee. So avoiding the death penalty and not having to be convicted of sexually assaulting a child were wins for her, I guess. Huckabee was formally sentenced in June of 2010. She had prepared a statement, which read as follows. Words cannot convey how bad I feel about the pain that I've caused you. It is not enough that I say that I'm sorry, but it is all I can do. From the day Sandra has died, I've had to live with the consequences of what I've done. For the rest of my life, I know I'm going to have to live with this. I'm going to have to live with these feelings of responsibility for her death. Not a day goes by that I don't think about her. I loved Sandra a great deal. She was a sweet, innocent little girl who did not deserve to have such a short life. I alone am responsible for Sandra's death. I would like to apologize directly to you, Maria, for all the pain that I've caused you. I should not have taken Sandra from you. I want you to know that she did not suffer and I did not sexually molest your daughter. I would also like to apologize to Sandra's extended family. I know that I have caused you a great deal of pain and I am truly sorry. 
I would also like to apologize to my own family for what I've put them through. I am grateful that they have continued to stand by me. And I thank you for your unconditional love and support. I know how hard this has been for all of you as well, but you've continued to stand by me and I can't tell you how much that means to me. I would also like to apologize to my own daughter, whom I've lost. I hope that someday you will forgive me. I love you a great deal, and I hope to someday see you again soon. I owe an apology to the people of Tracy and those officers who spent so much time looking for Sandra. I know that this has touched each of you personally, and for that, I'm truly sorry. I know in my heart that God has forgiven me, and I know my family has forgiven me. And I'm asking you, Maria, for your forgiveness. I can't imagine forgiving someone who would rob me of my own daughter, but I hope that someday you can forgive me. Maria, I wish I could give you an explanation for what happened. I owe you an explanation. I still cannot understand why I did what I did. Every day I try to discover my motivation, but I still do not have an answer. This is a question I will struggle with for the rest of my life. I wish I could do more to help you. I wish I could bring Sandra back, but I can't. I wish I could trade places with her, but I can't do that either. I know that Sandra's death will continue to cause you pain, and I hope that this apology will help you in some way by accepting responsibility for what I've done. I hope that I can give you some peace. Thank you. So, what do you guys make of Huckabee's apology? Personally, I'm not a very forgiving person when I'm wronged or done an injustice. And I hold grudges for little stuff for long periods of time. So, in attempting to put myself in Sandra's mom's place, I'm going to have to say no. I would have no peace resulting from any part of that statement. I would not be forgiving her, just out of the sheer fact that I would not want to give her the gift of my forgiveness. And any kind of closure or peace that I would find, if possible, would be found on my part and the part of my family and my loved ones, not Huckabee's apology. Now, with that being said, I can appreciate the apology for what it is. She sobbed through much of it, and I'm not ever really one who's a great judgment of genuine remorse or not. If a defendant is willing to offer up some kind of an apology or possibly even an explanation, then I guess that's the very least they can do. The only people it really matters to is the family of the victim. Oftentimes, we on the outside looking in often think that the defendant is remorseful for their own losses, particularly the loss of their freedom. So we take what they have to say in the way of an apology as self-serving and disingenuous. For me, Huckabee's apology, it just kind of felt like going through the motions. What else is she really supposed to do before she's shuttled off to be forgotten forever? Sandra's aunt addressed the court on behalf of the entire family. She first played a video slideshow, and you can see that on YouTube if you want, filled with pictures and music, a tribute of sorts to Sandra's short eight years on earth. And then her aunt's statement read as follows. Seeing these images of Sandra... It reminds us of her. They are all the images we have of her. The video of her skipping down the street will forever be etched in our minds. And the pain of knowing that she was so close to home 
and we couldn't protect her from Miss Huckabee is unimaginable, the pain that she caused. We can now rest to know that she will never be able to do this again, and that she will have to think about what she's done for the rest of her natural life. Sandra wasn't the only victim affected by what she's done. Our family, the Tracy community, and the whole world became victims when she murdered Sandra. When she took Sandra away from us, she created a huge hole in our hearts. We will never be able to fill those gaping holes, not to mention what this has done to her family. Her actions have a profound effect on children across the world. She robbed children and parents of the ability to trust people. There is no punishment severe enough to bring Sandra back or return the lives of so many people back to them. Our world has forever been changed. No amount of explanation can make sense of what she did or why she did it. The only solace we have as a family is to know that she will never be able to do this again. We will miss milestones that Sandra could have accomplished. We won't get to see her grow up. We won't get to see her go to her first day of middle school or high school or even college. We won't be able to see her go to her prom, drive a car for the first time, or graduate. We won't be able to see her fall in love, get married, have children, and grandchildren. We won't be able to see what she would have accomplished. She once told me that she wanted to become a nurse. We won't get to see if she would have fulfilled that goal. On the other hand, Miss Huckabee will be able to hear about all the things of her daughter. All we have left are pictures, videos, and memories of Sandra that tell us, remind us of the innocent, sweet, and larger-than-life person that she was. We hope that as Miss Huckabee watched this video that she will forever be haunted by the pictures and know what she has done to our daughter, granddaughter, niece, sister, friend, and schoolmate. We will never understand why she took our angel away from us. Your Honor, thank you for allowing us to express our feelings today. Now, before I get into some theories as to why Sandra was murdered, I wanted to quickly address an issue with the drug I mentioned Huckabee used on Sandra and the other two people that she gave the medications to. I indicated that she used benzodiazepine. Listener Tony, who works in the healthcare field, mentioned to me that the drug given must have been a more specific drug. And he was correct. I did know this. However, as you noticed, the show was getting super long. I didn't go over the prescription drug aspect of the case like I would have liked to. So I wanted to touch on that quickly. The drug that Huckabee gave to Sandra was Alprazolam, which is in the benzodiazepine family. According to drug.com, it affects chemicals in the brain that may be unbalanced in people with anxiety. It's used to treat anxiety and panic disorders and anxiety caused by depression, and it may be habit-forming, and it should only be used by the person to whom it's prescribed, and it may only be prescribed to patients over the age of 18. And there are a ton of side effects, including loss of muscle control, cognitive dysfunction, constipation, depression, difficulty urinating, drowsiness, slurred speech, fatigue, headaches, memory impairment, menstrual disease, nervousness, sedation, skin rash, tremors, weight gain or loss, anxiety, 
blurred vision, diarrhea, insomnia, decreased libido, increased and decreased appetite, irritability, feelings of depersonalization or detachment, hyperventilation, reduced or increased in physical sensations, the sensations of pins and needles, drooling, and muscle twitching. Those side effects sound awfully terrible, don't they? Well, anyway, Tony also said that if Huckabee gave Sandra a normal dose of her alprazolam, it would cause Sandra to pass out pretty quickly, and it's possible that she may have overdosed Sandra as well. Huckabee said Sandra didn't suffer. If she was passed out on this drug, one can only hope she didn't. Thank you, Tony, for straightening all of that out for me. Another issue I wanted to quickly address was brought to my attention by Facebook commenter Jen. Hi, Jen. She pointed out the ongoing need to continue to be aware of the way things are worded and how some terms that used to be commonplace are now insensitive and often harmful. And I always want to try to be aware of the better way to word the things that I say. Sometimes I overlook these things because I'm not aware or out of habit, and I definitely want to be as sensitive as possible, especially when I say stuff. That being said, in episode 37, when I referred to child pornography, a better, less toxic way of referring to this type of material would have been to refer to it as images of child abuse. I hadn't heard it before, and it definitely feels like a better way to reference it. There have been so many shifts in the way that we say things these days, and I certainly want to keep abreast of all of it. So if you ever catch me saying something, anything that isn't exactly PC, please feel free to let me know for future reference. Okay, so let's finally get to the heart of this story. Why? Why did Melissa Huckabee murder Sandra? It was obviously something she had been planning for some time. I don't know if Sandra was a specific target or someone Huckabee saw an opportunity to carry out her plan and she was chosen at random. It's hard to say, as Huckabee really hasn't explained herself. Aside from the fact that Sandra was brutally murdered at such a young age, an incredibly disturbing aspect of this case is the sexual assault with the foreign object, that rolling pin. What was that all about? I discussed this on Facebook with commenter Elizabeth. Was this a sexually motivated crime, or was this a ploy to throw investigators off her trail? Because statistically speaking, sexual predators are usually not female, only accounting for anywhere between 5 and 15% of all cases. And when women do molest children, they are usually an accomplice to a male predator. But Despite being a rare thing, it does happen. And according to an article I read that published a study on the matter, women are possibly responsible for as many as 5% of abused females and as much as 20% of abused males, whether they acted alone or with an accomplice. Only 6% of the abuse committed against a female by a female and 14% of the abuse committed against a male by a female is committed alone. What this means is there are few female child molesters and most of them are compelled to go along with the male partner, boyfriend, or spouse. And often the crime isn't necessarily sexually motivated, but rather 
motivated by their love for their partner while committing that sex crime. A well-known example of this you may all have heard of is that couple up in Canada, Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. This, however, doesn't really apply to Huckabee. She acted alone. And this is what shocks us about this case, right? The sexual aspect of this murder committed by Huckabee, it goes against what we think when we imagine a sexual predator or a pedophile to be. Studies have shown that women who abuse children are often victims of abuse themselves. I don't know if Huckabee was abused at any point in her life or not. And I don't always attempt to go out of my way to look those things up because honestly, in Huckabee's case, I didn't really care. It wouldn't have really made how I felt about her any different or any better. If you've heard it once, you've heard it a million times. Plenty of women, and men for that matter, suffer from abuse at some point in their lives, even in childhood, and don't turn around and murder children. Studies have shown that women who molest children are often psychotic. Okay, and? Obviously, Huckabee had some mental health issues. She was seeking treatment and taking medications for it. And she raped a child with a foreign object and murdered her. If Huckabee was sitting on death row right now, I might be concerned a little bit about us as a society condemning to death a person who has a documented history of mental illness. And to be perfectly honest with my feelings, that measure of concern is razor thin in this case. It's easy to take one look at Huckabee's sexual assault against Sandra in this case and feel that there are some very serious mental health issues going on but was it sexually motivated? Statistically speaking, probably not. Some experts feel this could be seen as a way for the perpetrator to have been trying to understand something that was once done to them, trying to understand it by repeating it. And even more rare, a fact that makes Huckabee's crime that much more perplexing, is that most child molesters don't kidnap and murder the children they molest. It happens, but... Typically, children are tricked and lured in by the predator. And in the case of someone the child is familiar with, that child is sometimes groomed or manipulated by making things seem like a game. And when this happens, it becomes less likely that the child will report the inappropriate sexual contact to anyone. And then there's no need to murder the child. But if something goes wrong and things don't go as planned because the grooming or manipulating didn't work, then this might be cause for the predator to kill the child. Because of the rarity of all these circumstances in Huckabee's case, I tend to lean more towards the notion that her having sexually assaulted Sandra with that foreign object wasn't sexually motivated. I did not read anywhere that Huckabee had any prior instances of sexual violence against children. She had a little bit of petty theft and a little bit of arson but no reports of any sexual abuse perpetrated by her. I am more inclined to think it was an attempt to throw investigators off when she sexually assaulted Sandra with that rolling pin. Police, FBI, and profilers, more likely than not, were going to think a man kidnapped Sandra. Huckabee knew that Sandra would eventually be found, and they would look to see if her body had any signs of sexual assault, and if she were able to make it appear that Sandra was raped, it would look even more like the crime was committed by a man. 
She might not have known the forensic pathologist was going to be able to take one look and tell that a foreign object did the damage, not an actual person. Also, Huckabee, while being talked to by investigators in the early stages of the case, was herself pointing the fingers at some of her questionable neighbors. It was just her luck that there were so many potential suspects residing in that small community, because it did for a moment lead investigators to question several men with dubious backgrounds. So because I don't think Huckabee necessarily wanted to be caught, I feel like she introduced the element of sexual assault to cast suspicion away from herself. Then this leads me to wonder why Huckabee was adamant that she did not sexually assault Sandra. I do understand that being labeled a pedophile or a child predator is a shameful thing to be known as in society. And as we have heard, especially when you're about to be sent to prison for it, your reputation precedes you and everyone seems to know ahead of time when a child rapist or killer is on the way in. And from what my understanding is, being known as a pedophile in jail is frowned upon by basically everyone, fellow inmates and correctional officers the same. Perhaps in an effort to manage her prison situation, it was imperative for her to not only deny ever having sexually assaulted Sandra, but to do anything she could to avoid having that conviction on her record, which her attorneys managed to achieve on her behalf. That's the main reason, I believe, for the adamant denials. But beyond that, I wonder if her denial actually runs that deep that she somehow has convinced herself that she really didn't do it, that perhaps having committed such a crime is so unthinkable that the only way for her to cope with herself is to tell herself over and over again that she didn't do it. Or maybe it's as simple as the necessity to maintain her innocence of that element of Sandra's murder is so important to her that it's a story that she can never stop selling. I don't know about you guys, but I'm almost offended as a trial watcher to think Huckabee thinks anybody is accepting her lies. Because that's what that is, a lie. She did sexually assault Sandra, but refused to take responsibility for it, didn't get convicted of it, and continued to deny it in open court in her apology to Sandra's family. As if not being convicted of sexual assault is somehow relieving her of taking responsibility for it. That would definitely be another reason, if I were a member of Sandra's family, an apology that wasn't all-encompassing would be worthless. Not that it means anything to them as it is, but then again, maybe Sandra's family would rather just not ever have to hear about or acknowledge that aspect of her murder either. Just as much as Huckabee would like to bury it, perhaps Sandra's family would like to do the same. Facebook commenter Elizabeth, also in our musings about motive, floated the idea that all of this was some indirect version of Munchausen's by proxy. This would sort of go along the same lines as what I've been talking about throughout this case, that Huckabee was attempting to inject herself into the investigation, and Munchausen by proxy might just be the answer to that. From the very beginning, when it became apparent that Sandra was missing, Huckabee repeatedly attempted to attract attention to herself, lending to the theory that she killed Sandra for the sole purpose of garnering attention, and this is known as Munchausen by proxy syndrome. We often think of mothers doing harm to their own children for attention when we think of Munchausen's. But really, Munchausen's can be anybody harming anyone for attention. And it's usually children because they're easy targets 
and they gain a great deal of attention if and when they are harmed, or in Sandra's case, harmed and vanished. The prosecutor in Huckabee's case did point out that her own child had a documented history of frequent illnesses and hospitalizations more often than the average child, suggesting her daughter may have also been a victim of Huckabee's for quite some time. As today was wearing on and it was becoming afternoon here in Southern California, Facebook commenters Chris and Elizabeth engaged in a discussion on the episode thread regarding Huckabee and mental illness. And I'm doing the best I can to include as much as possible, but I am on a time constraint and I've got to get this out. So you can look that up on the Facebook thread if you're interested in what the conversation involved. When considering why Huckabee was so vehement in denying sexually abusing Sandra, and why she refused to acknowledge it or discuss it. The notion was floated that this may be an indicator that Huckabee herself may have likely been a victim of sexual abuse during her childhood or adolescence. But either way, that something traumatic seems to have likely affected her brain development early on. It was mentioned that being sexually abused doesn't necessarily mean they become abusers, and that there are indeed other variables in a person's life experiences to be considered as well. But in the end, we basically came to the conclusion that the individual experiences vary from person to person and how each of us decides to allow those early experiences to manifest themselves as the abused individual transitions into adulthood is unique to them. If there was a blueprint for all this stuff, things might be much easier to understand, confront, and treat. But there's not. And while I so very much appreciate the candidness of the conversation we had about this, and the authenticity of it all brought a very real and human side. I couldn't help but feel that Huckabee doesn't deserve the leeway some of you might be willing to afford her. And that goes back to whether we think her crime was sexually motivated or not. And because I'm leaning more towards that it wasn't, I feel like she doesn't deserve any amount of sympathy or understanding on our parts. And I'll explain. It was revealed in court that Huckabee was a cutter And prosecutors believe that, too, was an attempt at gaining attention and sympathy from the people around her. And this indeed might be a sign that Huckabee continued to struggle with the after-effects of having been abused. Then there were those fires that she set. Perhaps another attempt at attention? She was also known to have been verbally and mentally abusive towards the people that were close to her, such as her roommates and her boyfriends. And those closely involved in Huckabee's case? Those who became familiar with her chaotic background surmised that that same desire for attention was in play when Sandra was murdered. What do you guys think of that idea? That Huckabee killed Sandra, and having been the only person in the world with full knowledge of what happened, she could sort of spoon-feed information and details. Accurate stuff, but not enough to shine the light of suspicion onto herself, but just enough to bring that attention to her. Like this was some sort of a game? She could be on the news? After all, it was her stolen luggage, right? She would be the one that found that ominous note, too. By the way, I found an article that said that the notebook investigators found that that note came from in Huckabee's room had the words, quote, cute but psycho, unquote, printed on the cover. Right? Anyway, so if she were to be the one to have had a suitcase stolen and Sandra was discovered inside that suitcase, and she was the one to have found that note, 
Then police, the media, and the general public would come in droves wanting to talk to her and interview her if she came forward with these valuable clues in the investigation. That way, she could be the star of this whole spectacle that she created. And just to make sure to keep the attention on her, yet cast the suspicion away from her, she added that element of sexual assault to make it appear the crime must have been committed by a male perpetrator. And then there's always the possibility that Huckabee's crime had a deeper, psychological motive that includes the sexual aspect of it. In thinking about the reasons why men rape women, we are reminded that these are crimes that are not necessarily sexually motivated. This opens up the possibility that these violent crimes committed by Melissa Huckabee were carried out as a result of homicidal rage. If we think of her crime as being framed like any other violent sexual assault, perhaps Huckabee acted out of a deep-seated need to gain control over another person, someone more vulnerable, someone that she could overpower or easily manipulate, or in her case, drug. That maybe she acted out against Sandra because of uncontrollable anger, and that maybe the reason for all of this was to gain some sort of sense of self-worth or misguided sense of accomplishment by not only murdering Sandra, but also adding insult to injury with the sexual assault. We don't know all of the deviant behaviors Huckabee engaged in. However, we do know some of her background, those petty thefts, those arsons, and the drugging of the other neighbor and her boyfriend. That coupled with the suspicion that she was bringing her own child into the doctor more often than the average parent. All of this points to a pattern of escalation in criminal behavior, and unfortunately this culminated in Sandra's murder. And what's more alarming is, just prior to her arrest, officers listening in on her phone heard her invite Sandra's older sister over for a playdate with her daughter. I don't think Huckabee was done escalating her crimes, and I think if given the chance, she'd do it again. And I am going to have to end this here if I'm ever going to get this finale of the story out to you guys. But we can most certainly continue the discussion on the Facebook page like we have been. I tried to cover as much as I could, and I feel like we could talk about this forever because there's so many unanswered questions when thinking about what goes on in the mind of Melissa Huckabee please feel free to join the discussion on Facebook. I have a new friend who has so kindly stepped in to help me administer the page, as well as breathe new life into the thing. As you may have noticed, some new, more interesting and thought-provoking posts and questions going up recently. So many thanks to Darren for helping the page be more fun and exciting. You can also follow California Dreaming on Twitter and Instagram. There, I usually try to post photos and things related to each new case that we cover. So follow me there if you already haven't. Thank you for spreading the word about the show, jumping in on the discussion, and for all of the feedback, comments, and kind words. It really keeps me motivated to keep going each week. And thank you to everyone who has jumped in on Patreon to even further support the show through your donations. For as little as $1 a month, you will be able to access all of the bonus content and I will mail you a card and a small gift in appreciation for your generosity. There are many levels of support to choose from, but all the levels get access to the bonus content. This month, the Patreon bonus covers the rise and fall of silent movie star Roscoe Arbuckle. It's a little bit of a different venture for me to get into old Hollywood, 
and so far the reception has been pretty good. So for $1, you can have a listen as well. California Dreaming is proudly a part of the Orbital Jigsaw Network of Podcasts. We have joined forces with an eclectic group of shows and hosts to bring you a variety of shows across several genres, including The Concession Stand, Busted Wide Open, Super Nerds UK, The Dirty Bits, Historium, Is This Adulting, 41 Owned, Film Roast, and the newest addition to our podcast family, Vox Arcana, spelled V-O-X-A-R-C-A-N-A. It's a Dungeons and Dragons podcast that discusses game design, philosophy, storytelling, and role-playing from the perspective of three different dungeon masters. So if you're into gaming, film, television, sports, entertainment, history, scandalous or otherwise, or you need to talk to your best friends, or you need your murdery true crime fix, then Orbital Jigsaw is your one stop for all of that. I have a few show promos that I hope you will take a listen to about some true crime shows that you might be interested in. True Crime Enthusiast, Ignorance Was Bliss, and True Crime Finland. Take a listen. Hello all, I'm Paul, creator and host of the True Crime Enthusiast podcast. I've been a crime buff for many years now, and my enthusiasm has led its way here. If you fancy each week delving into some obscure, but in-depth and often disturbing true crime tales from the shores of the UK, plus you don't mind the northern accents and the down-to-earth manner, then why not come have a nosy? The show can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. So it'd be great if you guys could come and have a look-see and I hope you can subscribe today. I'd love you to join me and I look forward to seeing you there too. See if you can become enthusiastic about the True Crime Enthusiast podcast. That's horrible. That's true. So strange. Usually. I can't imagine what that's like. Do you want to? That could never happen to me. It might. Lock him away. He's pure evil. Or insane. Or human. My name's Kate. I have worked as a forensic psychologist, as well as in prisons and as a crisis clinician. My job was to figure out who gets locked up and who gets a key to find the humanity in inhumane situations. So, are you sure you really want to know? Yeah. Maybe. Because by the end of the episodes, you just might end up thinking... I felt better before I knew that. You can find me at IWB Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, sometimes Instagram, or you can email me at iwbpodcast at gmail.com.
Hi, this is Minna from True Crime Finland. Ah, Finland, so peaceful and safe. There isn't even any crime there, right? Wrong. Join me every two weeks in discovering the dark side of the land of a thousand lakes. Everything from human trafficking and Ponzi schemes to double homicide and child abuse. From the forgotten and lesser known to the legendary and infamous Finnish cases, the podcast will be sure to offer something for everyone. You can find True Crime Finland on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, thank you, thank you, as always, for listening to this episode of California Dreaming on the Orbital Jigsaw Network. I hope that you have a wonderful rest of the week, and until we meet again on Sunday, sweet dreams.